0: So, we can start the second half of this uh, afternoon uh, with a session question and answer. And I'm going to ask you, I'm not sure if I can hear you, I mean I can hear you with the, maybe the microphone, I'm sure I should, I should, shouldn't I? Um, <clears throat> maybe we can sit down for a few seconds together, just to re um, recollect ourselves. So, do you have any questions? Well, we can go home now. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. I wonder whether you can explain sila bhasa paramasa. What I heard is that. Both, what is the second word? Sila? C-lab? Sila paramasa. Precept parami? Sila bhasa paramasa. Oh, prasaparamita. Oh, good. That's a good question. Yeah. Gosh, having a good ear is really good, isn't it? <laughs> right. So, attachment to rites and rituals. Yeah. yeah. Because you said discipline is important. Is it what? Discipline is important, but you have to get rid of discipline when you come to that level. How does, it, how, how does um, Silvata Paramahansa better? Uh, can you say a few words about that in relation to discipline? Yeah. The yeah. So, <clears throat> the Buddha, in when there's a, there's a description of the purification of the heart, and uh, in this uh, description, one of the first three fetters obstacles or that prevent you from freeing the heart is, um, is three. One is um, attachment to rites and ritual. You know, attachment to the um, perception of um, permanent uh, self, permanent being a permanent being. And the last one is attachment to doubts. Basically, being caught in doubt, still having doubts about the practice and the past, okay, and the first one, so the question of this gentleman is about can I say something about sila anyway, attachment to sila right and uh, so attachment to sila is I believing. It really means to believe in your heart and we go through this for a long, long time. Even though you know the words and you know, you know, you can tell that it's good or bad or it's useful or not useful. But for a long time we still act as if we were believing that your, your rites and ritual can liberate your mind. right? For example, if you do you know that many prayers a day that will liberate your mind. If you do a, a mantra and so on, that will pray, that will free your heart. If you pray to God, or if you um you know if you do some kind of rituals like lighting the candles, you know, lighting incense and um, praying to the guru or the teacher, you know, that's going to liberate your mind. Or if you just also um, it's like a close to being superstitious, you know, it's like, you, it's kind of, um, it's, it's a warning to, to think that by doing certain things you will get to that what the Buddha is aiming at, which is liberation from greed, hatred, and delusion. So what's happening is that um, the Buddha says this is actually a hindrance because as you practice, you begin to see that you cannot liberate the mind unless you see clearly its um, functioning, the way it functions. That means the way um, it experiences the world, the way it responds to the world, the way you respond to yourself. I mean, that's kind of broad way, the kind of larger... Picture of it, the way you um, are kind of engage with life, you know. So um, when you, um, you know, you cannot really liberate the mind unless you can see the suffering of what the Buddha calls the kilesa. Kilesa, you can see in certain tradition, is called afflictive emotions. In other tradition, it's called um, unskillful mental states or destructive mental states. You know, it's all these men- these uh, mental states which are um, considered um, unskillful, negative, destructive, and so on. Like greed, hatred, delusion, jealousy, envy, and so on. Laziness. Uh, you know, being biased, being uh, mean, etc. And um, um, the uh, skillful mental states would be um, what the Buddha is uh, encouraging us to consider and, as one would say, some people would say, to make much of that which is skillful. But eventually, in the heart, we develop the skillful, what we call skillful, healthy, good. You know, usually, it's um, embed, you know, rooted in kindness, in compassion, and wisdom, clear seeing, etc. And eventually, you see that um, kind um, skillfulness or unskillfulness is something you have to go beyond at some point in terms of neither attaching nor not attaching but it's not a question of attaching to goodness and re, re, you know, um, kind of pushing away unskillfulness it's more the freeing of the heart comes through the letting go of goodness and badness or whatever you want to call badness and skillfulness both of them so that at, some, at that point, it's more difficult in some way because you have to, um, you know, if you think about it, you say, well, you know, what, do, what, what am I left with, you know? But um, letting go of the things that make us miserable, I don't mm-hmm. think we are going to be too fussy about it. We can be quite happy. And you cannot only let go of things when you can see very clearly how unsupportive to your well-being, to your clarity of mind, and to, your, to the conditions necessary that support liberation. Simple as that, you know, if you're really a practitioner of the path that leads you to liberation from greed, hatred and delusion, you will start paying attention to what supports that. One of the things that do not support that is not being able to see those Kile signs oneself. And even though we may be meditating for years on end, still people might not see their Kile signs themselves. It's interesting. What makes you see your Kile signs in yourself is just come and spend a day at the monastery with a group of monks, nuns, and lay people, then you will see them moving. They start moving, they start, you start noticing something moved, you know. Before that, you thought everything was okay, until somebody says something that you don't like, and you start feeling a sense of slight movement in the mind. And so, the the practice is not so straightforward, because for many people, the attachment, for example, to tranquility, and to techniques that lead the mind to tranquility, to calm, to appeasement, and to joy, are quite addictive, aren't they? That's what we feel we're doing the right thing. My mind is calm, my mind is peaceful, my mind is... Why do you think the great teachers have already put quite a bit of energy in really shaking the boat and the status quo in you. Why do you think that they have been very good at shaking the boat, meaning yourself, and the status quo being, meaning what you think is right? Or what you think, full stop. Be- because of that, because we don't see our Kiresa Quite often, you know. So um, that's important. When you, you may be practicing all the precepts, you may be practicing all the meditation and calming the mind, and you know, to see the kilesa, you, they have to be at the level of energy actually, which can allow you to see them. Why is the training so important? Because it intensify your anger. It can intensify. It can also let it go. You can also let go. But it's um, you know, if you don't see the intensity of energy that is needed to actually see things, you can be quite sleepy and happy. And happiness of torporness. You know, feeling torporous and you know, bliss is ignorance. You know, ignorance is bliss. As we say, just not knowing is blissful. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I'm all right. I'm all. Right. I'm calm. I'm peaceful. I don't have a problem with others. Maybe you do. Ask yourself, is that true? You know. So, um, on another hand, as I my, my experience is that as we continue on the path, is that. If you do all the rituals, or you go through them without knowing clearly that this is not the path, it's just a support, just like you need a chair to stand, to sit, and the ground to stand on it, just as you need that, then in the same way, these rituals are very supportive. It's like a good place to sit down. You know, just uh, I mean, metaphorically speaking, you know, the inner chair, inner armchair. You can just um, you know light the incense, light the candles, light the incense. You know, you can do the chanting of um, describing the qualities of the Buddha, of the Dharma, of the Sangha. You know, and. uh, the path is actually going to be a mirror for your mind. So one day you say, I love, is wonderful, the Buddha is my teacher, the only teacher, my wonderful. Next day it has got kind of a bore, you know. Yeah. Gosh, I wish I could just go to the pub and have a good... some I mean, I don't think like that, by the way. I have to be careful. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I just imagine if you live in the world, you know. I mean, I haven't <laughs> drank for 36 years, you know. But it's more. I'm just kind of, you know, it's a metaphor. You know, it's a kind of example of anybody who lives a normal normal life. You know, why do I have to do all this? You know, I've been told it's just traditional. It's boring. You know, it's kind of why do I have to do that? So for me, I just let my mind. Speak, it's talk, talk to me for thirty years. You know, oh so, well, maybe. Then, you know, for a few weeks you find it great. And, but at some point the, the real practice is you, you go beyond what you like and what you dislike and you keep doing it, not because something in you wants to do it, but because it's just the right thing to do at that time. You know? I don't do my puja if I was on the London Eye. Maybe just, I just look at London, you know, and enjoy London. But in the temple that's what you do. Okay? That's what my community does. And I just go with it. And then now, of course, having, you know, uh, done this practice for so long, I do feel very, very warmed with the Buddha and I have a great feeling of gratitude and just a great feeling of love for the Buddha and the Buddhist teaching. So that naturally, I... The world are neither full nor empty. They just... um, Lovely words, which I just say, very meaningful and very, you know, feels very true to me, the know of the world, you know, awake and holy and uh, so on. Trainings of gods and humans and the trainer of gods and humans and so on. You know, we do the chanting in the morning, you know. I have the Buddha absolutely pure with ocean-like compassion. Isn't it beautiful? So we just, um, you know, but then if we believe that by chanting we're going to free our mind, no, you might just not be swearing for an hour, that's all. You know, if If your habit is to swear and be nasty, you just won't be nasty for an hour. Or if your habit is to be just distracted and greedy and so on, it stops you from, you're just focused, you know. But the mind doesn't stop even when you do the chanting, I can tell you, you know. You can think about many things as you chant, you know. Although for me it's harder now; I have to be really focused, you know. (laughs) I have to be more disciplined in a way. Is that enough? Do you have any more question about that? No, thank you very much. So, remember those rituals are just there to help us to stay focused. And also, sometimes it inspires us, you know, sometimes it's, a, it strengthens the heart, you know, you just say good things, you know, it's like, when you, you know, like we had a a healer, a Japanese healer who came many years, several years ago, and we spent quite a bit of time with him, a wonderful teacher in his own right, you know, and uh, he used to say, well, you know, my student asked me, how do you, how does it, you know, how can you, how do you heal, you know? So he has a whole way of healing, but he's, and then he says to his student, just think, I'm happy, I'm lucky, and I'm healthy. So his student used to say, like a good Western mind, you know, well, but that's just brainwashing, isn't it? <laughs> so he said, yes, it's brainwashing, but it works. <laughs> You know, that's wisdom of a good teacher. It's like, yeah, but it's better to say I'm miserable, I'm unlucky, and I'm unhappy, and I am, um, you know, sick. Which the ego mind is really prone to go towards. You notice that. If you look at your mind in the background, how much negativity we carry unconsciously, it's amazing. You know, and we say, oh, people are not kind to me. I say, we double-check your mind, you know. You might be thinking horrible things all day long about them, <laughs> they pick it up after a while. Yeah. And the worst part is ourselves, you know. How are we happy with ourselves, you know? At some point, you feel calm and peaceful, and maybe like nothing is happening, and you think you're happy about yourself. But actually, if you look a little bit more deep, a little bit more quiet, and a little bit more awake, then you begin to see that the ego kind of agenda is quite, you know, it's not so positive as you imagine, maybe. Do it to double check. So, we need the support of those, what we call rites and rituals, like taking the precepts also. You know, every fortnight we take our precepts, we recite our rules, we. Confess our minor or some more serious rules, you know. Every fortnight we do that. See, so why do you have to do this? You know, well, for me it's very good because the mind is really unruly and it's very um, forgetful. You know, it can easily. It's good to have some support. Okay, any more questions? Okay, Wendy has a question. And hey, oh yeah, that's right. Hello, John. Could you explain to me what you mean by past lives, please? That's because she knows how you know how to work with going deaf people. (laughs) I can hear her perfectly well. (laughs) Past life? Well, as far as I know, it's a moment that just happened. Right. (laughs) <laughs> Simple, isn't it? It's light, light. You know, people tell me, you know, it's like, how many past lives have we had? You know, <laughs> even people have talked to me about my past life. You know, <laughs> but you know, at some point in terms of past, you don't, you don't need to go there. It's not necessary. It's a distraction at some point. I mean, it's interesting. It's all so interesting, isn't it? All these things, you know, whether I was I, a queen or mendicant, or people, you know, was I this, was I that, you know. Sometimes you see things that you never had in this lifetime, you know, so you see, is that my past life or not, you know? I would just forget about the past life. Now, now is a door where you can see. That's all this is empty in a way. Not empty, but in a way we think of it. But it's um there's no clinging at that moment. It's very e- very easy to get sort of uh, distracted into um these things. So I just follow a bit the what I would understand. I was glad that Chensha saw the same as me, quote unquote. <laughs> The great master thought the same as me. Me, <laughs> but anyway, um, I I could really relate when he said, you know, when people would say, you know, do you believe in future life or what is future or past life and so on. He said, well, what you did before now is, you know, just think of it as your past life, and what you do now will be will be your future life. You know, is your is a condition for the future. That's why it's so. In a way, uh the past is a very um, um you know, it's not something you delay after a while. It's just here. You don't think about past life so much, you know, you just think it's putting the right the right seeds in the present moment that are going to influence my future right now. People have told me, you know, how much um, just talking with people, how much you can influence other people for the good, you know, by just sharing things, discussing things, you know, and you're just planting little seeds like that. You don't know where they are going. But later on, people come back and say, you know, I've been keeping the five precepts since you told me this. You don't even know. You have no idea, you know. And my life has greatly improved through this. You know, one of the things that is missing most in human life is a lack of refuge when the world collapses. You know, inner world or outer world, we have got a refuge. And then in Buddhism, we talk about the three refuges. You know, the refuges in the Buddha, the refuges in the Dharma, and refuges in the Sangha, refuge in the Sangha. And they are so meaningful after your practice because, you know, it's like the world is so unstable. What I mean by the world, what we experience in ourselves is very unstable and only lasts for, you know, a flicker of a moment. Yet We cling to it and we imagine it lasts, but it really happens very quickly. Everything happens fast. So we need a refuge where we can rest somewhere, you know, in our whatever you want. So this refuge in the Buddha, you could say we have a word, we had words like refuge in the Buddha. So refuge in the awakened mind or the wakefulness of our mind. And it's interesting because when I was talking to somebody I know who was suffering from depression, I remember talking to him saying, you know, something quite close, somebody close to me in my family, some someone, and then, I just use the word, you know, um, the mind, you know, to help him. I said, the mind that sees is your real mind. And what you see is all the things changing. And I used to, when I used to tell this story, I used to say, well, it's not quite Buddhist, you know, what I'm saying, this kind of duality, because the real mind and the unreal mind. And I was reading a teaching of a recently, and it used that same expression. This is your real mind. And for that person to whom I I talk and express myself like that, it was incredibly helpful. It was somebody very depressed. And your real mind is seeing all the things that go through it, the depressed thoughts, the feeling of wanting maybe to end your life, the feeling of this or that, you know. And I gave that person a discipline, and he was really willing to do it. So that was quite miraculous because from somebody depressed and not into religion, usually they would not want to hear anything like that. So that was quite amazing that he could be interested in hearing. And I gave him some uh, intention to repeat a few times a day, you know. And then he, you know, and I said, "The mind that sees what you're observing is your real mind." And I knew I, I think I said it because I knew that he had, he was conscious of this mind. Of aware mind, you know, and we all have the capacity to to be conscious. I mean, so it's not that difficult to make uh, awareness a real refuge in every second of our your life. It's not a work; it's just a, a, a skill to develop little by little to actually know how to bring this uh, awareness, which is all around us anyway. But just to be able to make it, to connect with it, you know with this awareness quality. And um, so this refuge in the Buddha Dharma, like in the truth in the Dharma. So for me, a refuge in the Dharma in everyday life or you know, really immediately will be things are changing, things don't belong to me, things do not belong to me and things are unsatisfactory. So, um, I don't label them like that because things are just the way they are. Neither good, nor bad, nor satisfactory, nor insatisfactory. But when I look at them, I'm reminded, don't cling to them, because really their nature is to change. So, sometimes they change too quickly when I like them. And sometimes, if I don't remind myself, they change too slowly when I don't like them. You know, it's kind of a very subjective reality. So, reminding me of the Dharma, I stop clinging, you know. And then they change according to their karmic force, you know. Habits can be very strong habits, very deep habit. That's why the Buddha made patience the highest quality, because this karmic force takes a lot of patience to be able to endure and bear the same old story, even though you've had the insight, you read the books, you've had many insights about it, you know. But, for example, with anger or impatience, you know. You've had many insights by the fact that impatience might not be the way. But still, there is maybe in your mind many conditions that support the validity in yourself that impatience is a way. Even intellectually, rationally, you, you think differently. But there's still, the energy of your mind and body are still There's still a kind of loyalty to the fact that impatience is away. Impatience is away. So that takes quite a long time to really integrate completely, see without any doubt that impatience is not a particularly good quality. It's not helpful. In fact, it's totally unhelpful because impatience is like agitation of the mind, you know. Now, you know. So it may feel very good for some people, there's no problem for them. So we go all at different rhythms, you know, we don't have the same rhythm. Some people may see anger in themselves very quickly, others don't. Some people can see laziness quickly, others don't. Some people may see meanness quickly, others don't. You know, it depends how the unconscious, unconscious loyalty there is in your heart to this value. You have a value, a scale of values in oneself, and you never maybe question those values. You know. So... And then the last refuge is the refuge in Sangam. That's very important refuge. You know, the Buddha said it's not just half of the whole. Lo- the, the holy life, or the spiritual life, as uh, Ananda, his uh, assistant and cousin, was asking. You know, is it half of the holy life? They say no, it's the whole of the holy life. It's a whole of sorry. Spiritual friendship is the whole of the spiritual path. You know, spiritual friendship. Spiritual um, friendship was beautiful also. Kanyanamita, Kalyana means beautiful. You could say spiritual friend, but it could be beautiful friend, you know. So, friendship with that which is beautiful, and a beautiful quality in the psychology of Buddhism is all the skillful and healthy qualities of the heart. That sort of um, nurture a sense of peace and happiness, a sense of faith and confidence, and so on. A sense of absence of regrets and misery. You know a lot of our discipline has to do with you know what, what we recognize immediately when you read the teaching of the Buddha, for example, um, you know his cousin again, Ananda, was asking him, you what is, a, you know, what is a, the aim, what is the purpose of Sila?" Simple answer: absence of regret and remorse. Now, for me, you know, I was still quite young when I got interested in these things, and it it kind of sort of landed immediately. Yes, I know that's exactly what I want to. I don't I don't want to live with that, you know, and that took me to appreciate the precepts. I didn't take the precept because I thought that was great, you know, but it was just a very good way of balancing that. Um, you know that when when you have a conscience you know when you feel conscious you say she has a conscience or he has a conscience he knows or she knows when she's done something wrong you know so it's having without being a buddhist in my french language we say elle a une conscience or il a une conscience you know which means he's aware of his unskillfulness or her unskillfulness, you know so when we have this um a conscience, an ability to see and to feel the bad result of our actions or speech or thoughts, then we have, um, you know, um, this is the aim of sila, to be free from those things. It doesn't mean that you don't do things, unskillful things still, or you don't, you know, you're not lying or bet or exaggerating or being, you know, uh, hurting other people. Not consciously, maybe, but unconsciously, or without intention, conscious intention. we still hurt people, you know, but then, little by little, you learn what happened. My meditation was so helpful for that, because as soon as I sat down, I would have the whole list of things that I regretted in quite a few, for a number of years, you know. Yeah? And I say, thank you. I was so grateful to be able to see those things, but not to make them mine, particularly, you know. It's just what goes on in the mind and the karma going through. Actions, your karma means action. the Mental action, you know, and physical action and thought action, I mean, sort of speech action, yeah? So, um, yeah. We finish? Enough, Enough for this question? Okay. Here. Um, okay. I had a feeling to put my hand up. Um, so speak loud as okay. well as windy. I had a feeling to put my hand up, so I'm not quite sure what the question is yet. Um. Oh, you didn't put your hand up? Yeah, I did. Okay. I've had a feeling to put my hand up. I'm just formulating the question. <laughs> um. You were talking earlier about um, somebody asked about past lives and there was something that kind of interested me about when you talk about karma. And so do we enter kind of this existence? Is it just an ongoing? Is there no kind of past life apart from body body and mind that's different? You just come into it with? You know, I really don't care. (laughs) Truly, (laughs) I just do now, you know, whether I'll be reborn as a rat or, you know, a leaf in the sky or or a sweet cat at Amaravati or a king or, (laughs) I don't know, you know, it's like, you know, the, I mean, it's not. A, a, your question is valid. You know, I don't want to invalidate your question. You know, not at all. But um, at some level, um, if I responded to what you said, would that help you? Honestly? Yeah. No, I don't. I, I, don't think the question's important. I feel like you have something to say, and that I just am posing no. a question so that no, you'll say I don't, something. Yeah, I do not Really? Um, no. <laughs> I've told that to my mind already quite a few times, you know, I need to shut up now, you know. <laughs> but what I mean by, and let me explain to you, you know, maybe I don't want to leave you with the wrong impression. It's, you know, at some point, uh, you know, there is no answer, you know, at some level, you know. Nobody has come back to tell us whether they were born as a princess or as a, you know, as a rat in Paris or, you know or oh, a cat on the lap of a monk or a atamalawati. You know, um it's a mystery. I, I, I really so much love the teaching of Achin Sumedu, who actually helped us to discipline or train the mind to be at peace with a don't know mind. And the don't know mind is a big is a your bigger mind. When you say I don't know, it's like you open the door of a of a mind that is not in the state of doubts. Do you understand? I don't know, it's like, I don't know. and the mind expands, you know. Yeah, anybody experienced this? Don't know mind. I, I worked because Achun Sumedho taught us that again and again and again and again, you know, he probably was practicing the same. And uh, it's, it's actually a technique to uh, stop the mind from getting caught up in a little box of doubts. You can ask a question, and maybe one day you have an answer in your meditation. You don't know, but to want a, a response to that question in a way we think, like in words, or you know, I very much like the idea that um, you know, in a way, it's quite okay not to know where we are going or where we come from. What is important is what am I what am I doing now? The now is fresh is alive and well, okay? And it's a place of deep um, you know deep recognition of your quality of awareness. So I tend to just uh, rest in that reality of now. Yeah? It's a most peaceful place, even I, mean, I can be in the reality of now and see the horror of my unpeaceful mind. But it feels like a good refuge because I can see it, I can look at it from uh, the right view, knowing that it's just uh, something that goes through me, that is unsatisfactory. But not a, you don't judge it, you know. It's unsatisfactory means maybe you, you you judge it as being unsatisfactory. You recognize yourself whether it's unsatisfactory or not, you know. Some people feel like you know moaning all day is quite satisfactory emotionally. You notice that? You know, in England, they talk about the weather. You make your best friend when you talk about the weather with your dog. Because it's something really satisfactory to moan about, oh yeah, another day of rain and cloud and miserable, cold, damp. But you have to be, in a way, clever, because our emotions, the positive emotion, coin can get quite linked together with negative things, you know. You know, you realize that the object of your emotion of pleasure emotion has nothing to do necessarily with a good object. Okay? It can be something quite destructive and you feel very emotionally satisfied, you know. You know. A serial killer will be killing all these people. He's quite satisfied. He's quite, you know, he's got enough strength and concentration and zest and, you know, and uh, zeal to be able to do all these horrible things. You know. So it's good to know that. It's good to know that. Um, you know, for example, you know, when you train yourself to get up early in time to get, uh, you know, to not. Uh, and to not look look for comfort, you know. You you know you're reminded, you know, this life is not just for comfort. It's not for just lazy and so on. You will see that emotionally it's quite challenging. Because our happiness is maybe to lie in bed and to sleep in a nice warm duvet. You know, everybody will agree. When on a cold dark night, you know, would would not want a nice warm duvet and something, you know. And the possibility of the clock not working, <laughs> you know. The kind of angst about the clock that may be actually working. Oh, damn it, you know. Wish it would break down a bit. At least today. You know, it's like a lot of our comfort is not necessarily, our happiness is not linked with the skillful things, you know. What we call... Good things, you know, good, happy things. So that's what the training and the discipline is about, is just to check that, you know, what makes me happy. Because sometimes doing good takes a lot of days and weeks sometimes, feeling quite miserable. When you go against the grain of a bad habit, you know that, don't you? You have to bear with very unpleasant things. You know, you're not used to it. I remember, you know, uh, seeing in myself a a kind of pattern in the mind and being very clear that this pattern was creating a certain reality externally to me, you know, a reaction of of people external to me. And I realized I actually created the scenario in myself that caused the response or the reaction of others outside me. And after that, it was very clear, I have to give up that way of functioning, which was very pleasant. It was really interesting. It was very pleasant and very me, me, natural. Okay? That was really a renunciation to, um, you know, to suddenly having to give up something I quite enjoy doing or... Uh, you know, creating, or, you know, I had to give up. For, to give up that tendency of from other people to see me in a way that I didn't particularly like, but I didn't realize that until I saw very clearly that I actually was a creator myself of the condition that set up the dislike in others, whilst I liked what I was doing. And what I was doing wasn't bad or anything like that, but it set up conditions to be seen in a certain way. Okay? And when I saw this, gosh, I said, this is going to be really hard to give up that, you know? Really hard. Because it's me. It's really me. But what do I do? The reaction, you know, what would happen if I give up this, functioning this structure of the mind you know you know you don't want to give up things that it's quite pleasant feel make you feel good and yourself you know natural self well you at some point everything has a nature to leave so whether you help it to leave or you don't it will go anyway and i notice I don't do this anymore and I don't yearn for it particularly. I don't even want it. I don't even you know, I am much more whole and much more um, you know, content and happy without it. And I thought I could not be so different at the time I was working with it. You know, I have to be myself, I have to be like that. <coughs> so strong, you know. Natural. I can't let go of that, it's not possible. I'm going to die to die and sometimes you rather continue the the schéma we say in French or the pattern you know you rather ignore the effect it has on you from outside to you than to give up the possibility of experimenting with a different structure just for the sake of experimentation right to see whether something else works better but just something else is frightening because you say maybe it's not going to be me it's just going to force me to be different from me from I it's a lovely personality I have you know, so that's quite something so it takes a lot of renunciation to train actually the mind and letting go is a renunciation practice you know you let things die. I used to say everything, you know. Mindfulness awareness, you know, mindfulness, <laughs> I say that quite often these days, is a graveyard of all things. I'm glad some of you smile, you know, and laugh, because for most people, they're like, what? What is she talking about? But for me, when, when, when I read it, I just smiled. I said, gosh, that's so true, you know. You know, you know, ask your old anger for two years ago to come back. You won't. Dead. <laughs> or your, you know, whatever. There's memory will not come back in the same way ever again. So they've died. It's okay. Survived it. Okay, another question? So, just to finish, maybe those three, because it's quite important, those three refuges in this world that's so... That's so unstable and so uncertain and insecure at the moment, you know, so sometimes you look at the news or you it's so terrible, you know your world, if you're not careful, the world might be just what you see in the news, you know, very violent and very cruel and very so many things, so you just begin to um uh, uh, to decide at some point I won't look at this for a while, so my mind won't be influenced so badly by think that might not even be true news, you know TV and that kind of thing computer news so remember refuge in the Buddha your other mind don't quote me on that just think about it, reflect that is a mind that sees, that is aware, that is conscious that is now the now mind and then take refuge in the Dhamma, it can be the teaching of the Buddha, or the, the what you see, your experience of now, that like direct, when you see now, it's direct, you don't have to think about it, you don't have to do anything. And then the refuge in the Sangha, which is all the people that, uh, you know, at some level it corresponds to the... Uh, the Arya Sangha, you know, the enlightened disciples of the Buddha. And uh, Sangha means group, so it's been also extended to all the people who practice and who share similar aspiration, similar values, similar um, intention as you. So it's supportive. It's like instead of having one little mind struggling on its own, you have good friends who can help you to move in the direction that your mind is interested to move in, you know. So we, we, we have to be very careful who we associate with, who we, you know, who, who we are, you know, really um, good friends with. Because we are the mind is very influenceable, very influenceable. So, I have to say really that is it, oh. so, if you don't have another question, oh Wendy, you had another question, did you? Are you just lifting your yeah, so we're going to stop, and uh it's very thank you for coming and for you know. Give me a chance to um, have the privilege to share the Dharma experience with you, and when you come to Marawati, don't feel shy to come and chat with me, or you know you can approach me. I don't bite. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you have good friends here. Yeah, okay.